Radio Omniglot, a podcast about language and linguistics. My name is Simon Hager, this is episode 16, and I will be talking about grammar. What it is, where it comes from, and how it can help you to learn languages. Incidentally, the tune you heard at the beginning of this episode is one I wrote back in 2015, called The Bells of Hirail, Kochai Hirail. I originally recorded it on the Cavaquinho, a small Portuguese guitar-like instrument. This version is generated by MuseScore, and is an arrangement I'm working on at the moment for four recorders. This is something I mentioned in episode 11, to some extent, when I was talking about some of the prescriptive notions of what is proper English. Things like not splitting infinitives, and not ending sentences with prepositions, and so on. Recently, I saw a post on Facebook which says, Grammar is a useless way to learn a new language. We were not exposed to learning grammar in our acquisition of L1. L1 presumably meaning first language or mother tongue. And of course, this has had many comments on it. Some people saying, oh yes, grammar is very useful, grammar is helpful, but not necessary to learn a language. Without grammar, we speak broken language and other comments along those lines. And another interesting comment is, note that some native speakers do not really understand the grammar of that language well, and it shows in they speak and write, which um, is a slight grammatical error. Not studying the grammar is just lazy and in a way disrespectful. Do not look for shortcuts, just do it right, and in the long run, you'll be thankful. So people have many different opinions and ideas about whether it's necessary to learn the grammar of a language when you're studying a new language, or how to do so, or indeed what is grammar itself. So let's have a look at some definitions of grammar. According to the Oxford Dictionaries, grammar might be the whole system and structure of a language, or of languages in general, usually taken as consisting of syntax and morphology, including inflections, and sometimes also phonology and semantics. Syntax is the word used by linguists to refer to aspects of language such as verb conjugations and the way nouns decline, they take different endings, and the way words change when they have different roles in a sentence. Morphology is the study of words and how they're formed, and about the analysis structure of different parts of words, the stems, the roots, prefixes, suffixes, and so on. Phonology is the study of how sounds are used in language, and semantics is the study of the meanings of words. Another definition from the Oxford Dictionaries is that grammar is a set of actual or presumed prescriptive notions about the correct use of language. The Free Dictionary defines grammar as the study of how words and their component parts combine to form sentences, the study of structural relationships in language or in a language, sometimes including pronunciation, meaning, and linguistic history, the system of inflection, syntax, and word formation of a language, the system of rules implicit in a language viewed as a mechanism for generating all sentences possible in that language, a normative or prescriptive set of rules setting forth the current standards of usage for pedagogical or reference purposes, writing or speech judged with regard to such a set of rules. Then Wikipedia defines grammar, at least for linguists, 
as the set of structural rules governing the composition of clauses, phrases and words in any given natural language. The term refers also to the study of such rules, and this field includes phonology, morphology and syntax, often complemented by phonetics, semantics and pragmatics. Wikipedia also mentions that to non-linguists, a grammar might be the rules of spelling and punctuation. Because when people say someone doesn't know their grammar, often they're referring to spelling mistakes. Wikipedia also quotes Jeremy Butterfield, although it doesn't say who he is, as saying a grammar is a generic way of referring to any aspect of English that people object to. So we have some interesting definitions of grammar, covering a wide range of meanings there. I wrote a post on the Omnigot fan club inviting people to fill in the blank in the sentence grammar is and got some interesting responses. Here's a selection of them. Grammar is skilled at making synonym roles. I like the pun. Grammar is frustratingly flexible. Grammar is structures upon which to drape the words you memorize. Grammar is the scaffolding for language. Grammar is the single most miraculous and beautiful human invention. Grammar is only necessary to the extent that it aids communication. Grammar is the expression of human thought, reflecting a myriad of human cultures and subcultures. Grammar is the glue that holds our meanings together, but it's cheap glue with no instructions on how to use it, so we do the best we can and tell others how we did it. So now we have some idea of what grammar is. We've seen that it means different things to different people. Let's think about where it comes from. How did it develop? There are many theories about how language first developed or when and where. Before the invention of writing, we have no idea what languages people were speaking. We can reconstruct languages to some extent, going back maybe five or six thousand years. But beyond that, well, writing only goes back about five and a half thousand years. So we can't go a lot beyond that. So it's mere speculation how grammar might have first evolved. I like the idea that before we spoke, we had a kind of communication system that was a combination of vocalizations, gestures, movement, and there weren't individual words, there were strings of sounds and supplemented by gestures and facial expressions and so on. And gradually, certain combinations of sounds came to refer to certain things, certain people or places or animals or plants or whatever. And within a community, people started using these combinations in that way. And through interaction between people, they started developing ways to refer to different things. Ways to talk about actions and states and objects and animals. So different types of names and words developed and ways of combining them together. So you can talk about things that are happening now, things that happened in the past, things that might happen in the future. And over time, this developed into language, whether it was one initial proto-world language or several, we don't know. But as people moved around the world, different groups developed their own forms of communication, their own forms of speech. And these developed into different languages and different language families and different forms of grammar developed in different places. Things like verb endings might have originally been separate words that got fused to the verbs. For example, pronouns, I, you, he, he, it, etc. might have come after the verb 
an early version of a language, and then through oral transmission, the language changed, and those those pronouns got fused to the verbs to make different forms of the verb for different persons. And the other grammatical changes can develop in a similar way. Maybe separate words fusing together to make new forms. And you can see that happening today in English. For example, the word gonna. I'm gonna talk about grammar today. Originally it was going to, and that got abbreviated and shortened to gonna. And that's only used in the future. It's a future tense marker. I'm gonna do something. You don't say, I'm gonna the shops. I'm going to the shops, you would say, not gonna the shops. So it's a new grammatical form that has emerged in English. And other forms are emerging in English and other languages. Language changes all the time. There's not one version of the language which is the correct version. People say, okay, it's, it's written down in dictionaries and grammar books. This is the official standard version. And there may be a standard way of writing a language, but the way people speak varies a lot between people. Even an individual will speak in different ways in different circumstances. If you're talking to your good friends, you may speak in a very informal way. If you're talking to your parents or to someone in authority, you will speak in a different way, perhaps. So within a language, in individual speakers, there is variation regionally and over time, and languages change. And different forms of language have their own rules. They're different from the standard, perhaps, and people might mix regional variations, different versions of a language with the standard language, and then other people might judge them for doing this, saying, oh, you're doing it wrong. That's not how you should say that. But if they manage to communicate their message effectively, if other people understand what they're saying, they have succeeded in doing what they wanted to do, there's no problem. I mean, when you're learning a new language, obviously you try to speak it in a way that people who are native speakers of the language will understand. And that may not necessarily be in the way that's um, described in textbooks and grammar books and dictionaries. Because colloquial language, everyday language, informal language, often differs from the official standard for a language if such exists. So you need to learn both, really. The formal form of a language, the standard form of a language, if there is one, and informal forms of the language as well. So when you're learning a new language, it definitely helps to learn the grammar of at least one form of that language, probably several forms of it. And in uh, language learning textbooks from the 1950s and 60s that my parents used, often they'll start first chapter, this is the verb to be, this is how you conjugate it, here's some example sentences, and they introduce other commonly used verbs, to go, to do, to come, and so on, give you lots of examples, and then you, you learn how to use these. And then you move on to other categories of words. This is how you use adjectives describing words. This is how you use nouns in different forms, adverbs, and so on. And in languages with more um, complex inflectional morphology, that's with lots of endings on words or changes to words depending on their function. For example, languages like Polish, where you have eight noun cases, nouns can change in eight different ways depending on their role in a sentence. Then there's a lot more to learn. And you do need to learn this. There may be some cases, some forms of verbs and nouns that are not so commonly used. So you don't need to prioritise learning those. You need to concentrate on the words and structures that are used most often. 
And the way you do this, in some language courses, they will give you things like conjugation tables. This is how you conjugate this verb. And you can try to memorize that. And some people enjoy doing that. People actually enjoy reading grammar books and finding out how a language works and how it's structured and how all the words change and are used in different contexts. But a lot of people find that rather tedious or difficult. So another way to learn grammar is through lots of exercises and reading and listening and trying to work out the structure from all the examples you see. And that is possible with enough exposure to the language, but it takes time. So I think maybe a combined approach of learning the grammar explicitly and also getting a lot of exposure to the language and using it as much as possible will help you. Because if you rely exclusively on the exposure to the language, reading and listening and trying to work out how it works, it will take a while to work out some aspects of the grammar if you don't encounter them very often, particularly. I've noticed this on Duolingo when trying to learn Romanian, for example. Now, Romanian has four noun cases, like Latin did, and trying to work out which endings to use and how words change is not easy. And on Duolingo there are grammatical notes you can read, but I was using the mobile version, and when I was studying, the notes were not available on mobile. They are now, I think. So I just had to try and work out what was going on, and I found it pretty difficult. I mean, the first initial lessons were not too difficult, but when you got more complex aspects of the grammar, it's more of a challenge to try and work out what's going on. And that's when explicit grammatical teaching and learning can help. And this can be a shortcut to learning the language. Because if you're struggling to work out how it works, just from examples, and then you see an explanation, then you've, you've already had some exposure to it, so you've got an idea of how it works in context, and then you read in the grammar book, or a teacher tells you, okay, this is this structure, and this is how it works, and this is how you use it. And then the next time you encounter it, you think, oh yeah, I know that, that's the dative case, or whatever. And then it starts to make sense. So it definitely helps to have some explicit study of grammar when you're learning a new language. You don't have to learn all the different verb conjugations and other grammatical baggage necessarily. It helps if you do, perhaps, but there's an awful lot to remember for some languages. It certainly helps if you can use the grammar effectively when you're talking and writing in the language. And you can practice doing this. One way to do so is to take example sentences from your language courses and other material you, you, you use and to play with them. Say you have a passage that's written in, in the past tense, you could change it to the present or the future. You could change the people involved to make it more memorable, replace people with animals, perhaps. That's something that happens quite a bit on Duolingo. A lot of the example sentences involve animals. One that came up in my Spanish course recently was, was or two actually, were about sheep. In one they were trying to speak French, and in another they were singing songs by the lake or something like that. And I remember those sentences because they're just ridiculous images. And if you play with a language like that and combine normal vocabulary with more outlandish vocabulary, perhaps, it can help you to learn the vocabulary and the grammatical structures. So if you want to learn prepositions, for example, you could learn sentences like the book is on the table, the book is under the table, the book is on the chair, and so on. But instead of talking about books, if you talk about elephants or giraffes or rhinoceroses, then it makes much more memorable images, and it's fun.
And you could even make up stories about your characters that you've created, give them names and backstories and how do they relate to each other? Are they friends? Are they lovers? Are they enemies? So there are all sorts of creative ways you can learn a language and use a language. And the more you do so, the more proficient you'll become at actually writing it and speaking it. And now it's time for another piece of music, I think. This is The Curious Pigeon, a Colomian Huilvretic, a tune I wrote in January 2019. from, how it develops, and why it's useful when you're learning a language, I thought when I was preparing this podcast and thinking about what I was going to say, that I could add a little bit of nonsense. So here are the totally made-up and fictional origins of grammar. In the Caucasus Mountains, in the wilds of Russia, there are places where you can mine grammar. You can find raw materials that make up languages, the verbs and the nouns and the adjectives. There are mines where people will find these, and then there's a committee that decides which ones go to which languages. And then parasitic entities called inflections and participles and particles come along and attach themselves to these words to form a grammatical structure. But the parasitic entities are not stable, and they might fall off the words they're attached to and get attached to other words and they may change over time which is why languages become irregular and why different forms emerge there are ways to prevent this if a language has a standard written form and a dictionary and grammar and an academy that looks after it that can prevent some of these changes from happening or at least it can try to because if people like these inflections and other parasitic entities, they'll use them and ignore the dictates of the academies. And between languages, there is a thriving trade in vocabulary and sometimes grammatical structures and even phonetics and sounds. Some languages tend to hoard consonants, the ones in the Caucasus Mountains particularly, Well, other languages have to make do with mainly vowels and hardly any consonants, like some of the languages spoken in the Pacific region, like Hawaiian. I think that'll do for now. If you want to leave any comments on this episode or other episodes, you want to see some notes, you can go to omnigot.com slash radio. And if you're feeling very generous, you can also make donations to help support this podcast and my efforts on omnigot.com, the online encyclopedia of writing systems and languages. I hope you found this interesting and useful and perhaps amusing in places. You can contact me at feedback at omnigot.com. I have been Simon Ager. I have been talking about grammar, and that's all I have to say for now. So thank you for listening, and goodbye.